Welcome back to the Theology of the Buddy podcast, episode 29. In this episode, Chris and Julie candidly talk about what it means for traditional Catholics to really love their neighbors. They share some personal stories about how real live charity saved their own faith and share a challenge for all of us to take part in. We hope you enjoy. Welcome back to the Theology of the Buddy podcast. It's a me, Christopher. And I'm joined by my lovely co-host today, Julia. Gianluigi. Gianluigi. Welcome in, everybody. It's yep. great to have you. So, how how are things going? How's your week? What's new? Anybody checking out what's going on in Rome these days? These Man. weeks. These weeks. It yeah. It feels like we're just stuck on an eternal loop of insanity. Every day something comes out and you're like what? Except the worst part is it's not surprising. Like yeah, no, none of it. No. No. <sighs> this has been in the works for many years. Yep. Yep. Vatican two. Vatican two. Yep. Well, welcome in, everybody. So, Julie and I are doing our first couples podcast. Well, a re-record. It's not really our first, but it kind of is our first. Well, yeah. We're re-recording one that we did, like, yesterday. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. That recording was... Terrible on all levels. Yeah, Specifically in the audio quality level. I'm not really sure why. Yeah. Yeah. Not 100% sure why, but I think we figured it out. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. This is a terrible intro, dude. Let's get, let's get right into it. Okay. Let's do this. Yeah. So, so here's the deal. So today the theme of our podcast is Catholics casseroles and the virtue of charity. Now, Kind of a weird title, but we've recently been thinking a lot about this topic uh, because of a recent article that came out uh, on The Federalist written by a guy by the name of August... uh, Mayrat? Yeah, August Mayrat. The link will be in the description box, or in the description box. Wow. (laughs) In the show notes, there you, you can go. find those at theologyofthebuddy.com. Um, but uh, in particular, the article was called Catholics Who Love the Latin Mass Need to Get Better at Loving Their Neighbors Too. Um, this is a topic that Julie and I are pretty, pretty passionate about. And especially in light of the recent things happening in Rome, especially in these last weeks weeks the the truth is we're probably in our latin mass communities going to be seeing a new influx of orthodox catholics who are fed up with the state of the church and are looking for some stability i know that for julie and i when we began attending the latin mass more regularly it was at a time when we were looking for a sense of stability ourselves. So when it came to liturgical and doctrinal beauty and truth and goodness, yep. we we just really needed that. So Stuff that wasn't watered down and fake. Yeah. So this is kind of dedicated to, to those who are already going to the Latin Mass. This episode is, is really committed to them. Um, and to ourselves. Yeah, that's true. So to begin, um, I thought we could just kind of talk about the the article that we just mentioned. Um, but then there's kind of another really powerful story that we're going to share a little later on um, that was written by a lady by the name of Jill English, which we'll, uh, we'll read in a bit. It exemplifies very well the whole problem of what we're, what we're yeah. talking about. Yeah. About people not loving their neighbors. About yeah. Christians not loving their neighbors. Not really knowing how yeah. properly. Yeah. So let's talk about this. So, Julie, what 
stuck out to you from the article? I mean, really, if you do get a chance to read the whole thing, you should, because I think it spells it out very, very well. I'll read kind of just the summary first of the article, which says, Elitism and antisocial behavior currently limit the appeal and efficacy of traditional Catholicism. The traditional Latin mass community has a bright future, but it needs to confront its failings so it can finally save a church in crisis. You know, I think for me, this so well summarizes the issue, both even say in when we started going, like we went for the mass itself and we knew what we were looking for that way. But like on a personal level, I didn't really feel very welcomed. Granted, also didn't at the parish we were at before, but I guess kind of in a certain sense, even more so. I mean, I feel like in Novus Ordo parishes, it was easier to walk in, walk out. You didn't necessarily have people or like feel like people were judging you. Unless, of course, you veiled or knelt to receive the Eucharist or anything that said, hey, I am a trap of some description. Going to, like ma- making the switch to a TLM community. I Again, it also depended on where we were or what parish we may have visited. Because again, if it wasn't failing, you could feel that judgment. Walking in without children, you could feel that judgment. Um, and I mean, then not being talked to or, you know, like other community members introducing themselves, like it still felt very much closed in a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if you want to take it from there. Yeah. I mean, so so a couple couple points that I found really true in the article. Um, so, so the guy who wrote it um, draws on the insights of Father Chad Ripperger. Mm-hmm. You've probably heard us talk about him on the podcast before. If you've never checked out his talks on YouTube or or on his website, I'm not sure what it is right now, but I can put a link in the show notes. You should definitely check him out. But he talks about how Father Chad Ripperger had mentioned that uh, in these traditional Catholic parishes and communities, uh, traditional Catholics are often seen as uncharitable and elitist, and apparently more than a few of them struggle with pornography. Now, if you didn't uh, check out our podcast from last week with uh, Steve Picorni, you definitely should, um, where we talk about that a little bit more in detail. But um, he goes on to say that TLM parishes can sometimes become unwelcoming places that feel more like strange cults than normal Catholic communities. Their members are quick to condemn heresy, scandal, and depravity, but some criticize that they can be slow to offer help or attention to those in need. Um, I think the question there like, that has to be considered is why? Mm-hmm. You know, even now that we're part of that community, you know, when reading these articles, I recognized in myself that being slow to offer help and not being attentive to the needs of other people, um, neighbors or family or friends or people from our parish community. But I think it comes down to really not knowing them. You don't, if you don't know people, you're not going to know what needs are there. Or, again, if you have that elitist kind of mentality or perspective, you could think, oh, well, that situation doesn't warrant help. They don't deserve it. Or they asked for it. Mm. You know? Yeah. It's um, it's interesting, too. He goes on to say that that in terms of the traditional Latin mass, that it can tend to attract a particular group of people. Father Chad Ripperger uh, refers to this kind of as the Gnostic problem, essentially this group of people that have a seemingly secret knowledge that nobody else has and is really generally unwilling to share that. Well, and he um, says like in that paragraph, like that this minority that 
like of this Gnostic problem that they join for what can be described as make-believe to experience a nostalgic fantasy that exists apart from reality. And he kind of goes on to say, and I think kind of give those examples, basically that you have a large family, you know, you, you homeschool your kids and, you know, everything that traditional Catholics should be doing. And if you don't do it, then you get judged, basically. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was saying that, you know, one of the reasons why traditional Catholics, you know, flock to the traditional Latin mass is because of the fact that they've been hurt. I mean, and I, and I think all of us can relate with that to some degree. And I'll actually be talking about that in a future podcast, but he says for this reason, traditional Catholics tend to distrust the Vatican along with the secular world. Well, let's be honest, look at the Vatican right now. How can you trust it? (laughs) Yeah. While most will not explicitly break with church authority, many will distance themselves from Novus Ordo Catholics, Protestants, and everyone else. Hence, their preferred form of evangelization is having large families and sheltering them as much as possible, Mm -hmm. just as their parents did after Vatican II. Well, and I think this is where you see that problem, is if you're not doing that... If you're not having large families and you're not protecting them from the outside world, including everybody that might come in that doesn't directly fit, you know, what they think that should look like. I mean, I think it's a bit of a caricature, but I would say I have experienced traditional Catholics that fit that mold. Yeah. Um, but not all. We've no. experienced a lot that don't. Yeah. But some that do. Yeah, it says here that, you know, the normal, the more normal traditional Catholics at these parishes often go to great lengths to contain the nuttiness, Mm -hmm. which I would say is kind of true. I mean, there's there are people that really try to still create that sense that, you know, we're not all crazy. okay? you like normal guys, guys, we're, we're cool. okay? we're not. I think, too, it makes it difficult because, like, I've had times, like, talking with other people and they'll be like, oh, okay, so this is the mass that I go to. And sometimes you can just see the look across their face that's like, oh, you're part of, like, you know, you're you're going back to the Middle Ages or you're, you know, and it it makes it difficult because I feel like I have to, like, I, I work harder to defend why there's nothing wrong with it or i mean again they're thinking about these kinds of people that will sneer at you if you don't have the large number of children etc etc like or if you talk about veiling like but what what i'm saying is i see these other people and their reactions yeah and it makes it difficult to try to like to have to defend the fact that like we're normal people and we go and there's nothing wrong with that. Are we normal? Well, I guess so. I feel like we are kind of in between because he's right about say this minority that accounts for the Gnostic problem. It's, you know, people that have that perspective we have experienced. Yep. So, yep. like, I get that. I get it from that perspective of how difficult that is. Like, we've heard those judgments from people. We don't have kids right now that we're raising, but, you know, homeschooling, for example, is not something that everybody can do, you know? And it can be very easy in traditional communities to be made to feel like you're a failure and you're doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. or again um, because of say like i i know i bring up the example with less kids or not having kids partly because it directly relates but we've experienced say being that couple that isn't talked to for what feels like because we don't have kids so there's no point of reference couples well by couples with kids so it's like we're exclude even though we might like be the same age 
there's a lot of people that we wouldn't get to know because we don't have kids as a point of reference. Right. That in itself is very alienating, Mm -hmm. you know, and especially for us in the struggles that we've had, but even seeing it with other people is like, you know what it's like to say, want children and not be able to have them, or it's not the right time or for whatever reason there is. For the record, if you're, you want to know more about our backstory and kind of how we feel, um, in season one, we had a episode with Billy Griffith. I can't remember. What yeah, I think it was is. you and Billy. It was me and Billy. Yes. But we talked about that as well. So mm-hmm. if you want, no, want to know more about that experience, you can check out that podcast. Again, I'll link that in the show notes as well. Again, kind of coming back to that question of like being drawn to the Latin mass, it says here, Again, the Tridentine Mass itself is not to blame for this. You know, people, kind of nuttier people, more um, wounded people uh, coming to the Latin Mass. Um, If anything, theologically liberal Catholics created this problem by stigmatizing and marginalizing their traditional brethren for so long. That's kind of what you were kind of harping on there. They turned something beautiful and empowering into something strange and embarrassing. Traditional Catholics were banished from polite company. Now many of them have become comfortable as permanent outsiders. When I read that, I was like, that's a real gut check. And, you know, it's kind of interesting, too, because... Steve mentioned it in the podcast previous to this one, but we had encounters this past summer with two separate groups of people um, at two different parishes who had lamented or who had experience at two different parishes, I should say, who had lamented how the how the actual parish had become essentially toxic, yeah. uh, whether and that's the, how they described it was. Yeah. Toxic. toxic communities how uh, they were closed to newcomers the priest at that parish had been highly judgmental of an infertile couple yeah i mean there's all these things you know a, a lack of opportunities to actually be connected with the community unless you jump through a certain number of hoops it's just not healthy not healthy and not and welcoming damaging. at all damaging yeah and so you know again coming back to the reason for this podcast the truth is like we know that i mean while we do talk a lot about our own community because that's kind of where we're sitting but we've kind of got our pulse on what's going on in these other traditional catholic communities and the truth is that some of them really are closed systems as steve mentioned uh in the last podcast and they need a gut check too and i think it starts with me it starts with you it starts with us learning individually how better to love one another and be there for one another Mm -hmm. so maybe we can kind of change gears so we wanted to read this story because i think this story really sums up kind of what we're talking about as Julie reads the story, maybe ask yourself, how do I respond to people in these types of situations? Yeah. So maybe give a brief intro to the story and then yeah, yeah. we'll get you to read it. So uh, this was an article that came out, um, I don't know, a few weeks ago, maybe. I don't have a date, but it was a few weeks ago on... Uh, Red Tent Living. It's called The Casserole Rules by Jill English. Anyway, here we go. Unless you air your laundry. Divorce in the church is as isolating as a child's temper tantrum during the Sunday morning service. When my husband of 27 years suddenly and unexpectedly left, it was weeks before my large church pastors noticed I was missing from Sunday morning services, and even weeks more before someone called to check in. I can't blame them. I didn't reach out. I was busy. I was inhaling and exhaling, managing shame, scrounging for hope, paying bills, and depositing what little emotional reserves I had to care for my devastated daughters, reeling family members, and befuddled friends. I was too busy, facing the disappointment of opening my eyes in the morning, 
realizing that God hadn't granted my nightly plea to take me in my sleep because I didn't know how to live this way. There were so many things I didn't know about how to go through an unexpected divorce. There is no YouTube video, no manual, no to-do list for how to do it well. Yet, the one thing I did learn is that you won't get a casserole from church when you're in the middle of burying a marriage. I realized this after the fact. A year after my husband left and before the divorce was final, my dear church friend lost her husband to a sudden heart attack. Here is the thing I learned when Joe died that I hadn't even thought about when my husband dropped off the face of the earth. There are dozens of casseroles in the church freezer. When Joe died, the church stepped up big for Sue. She had meals for months while she figured out how to manage the house and budget by herself. She had lawn boys, free electricians, and pro bono mechanics when her cars broke down. She received hundreds of cards from church friends. We watched them overflow her mailbox. Women came to clean her house, strangers did her laundry and folded her towels, and not one person asked what she could have done differently to avoid Joe's death or suggested that things would get better because some new man would snatch her up in a second. I am so glad. I love her and am grateful for each person who stepped in to meet her in her grief and need. One time, she gave me an extra casserole because her freezer was full. It was really tasty and I ate it for days after we wryly talked together about the differences in our experiences of the death of a marriage. We both acknowledged the casserole rules. The church didn't give divorce casseroles, except for the one she gave me. The very next summer I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I learned that you do get casseroles for breast cancer. Elders visit, people pray, your name gets mentioned from the pulpit. People call, email, and send cards. They rake your leaves. I was grateful, although a bit bewildered. During those six months of diagnosis, surgery, and radiation treatments, I never once prayed for God to take me during the night. I never cried myself to sleep over breast cancer. Never imagined what I did wrong to be so unworthy. There was no shame. Each morning, I was happy to open my eyes. Sometimes, I even longed for the phone and doorbell to stop ringing. I got free yard work for weeks, and I got lots and lots of casseroles. To be clear, this isn't about a church, it's about the church. My church tried in the best way they knew how. I don't blame them for any inconsistencies. I never noticed them before either. We can't know our blind spots by seeing them. We must feel them. It's complicated, isn't it? As people of faith, we are very good at meeting people in times of death and illness. There are no judgments around these things, and we do not need discernment about who is in the wrong. We don't have to wonder about whether one's grief is deserving of a casserole. The rules about other human conditions are not so clear. Casseroles for the death of a marriage? For a mental breakdown? For rehab? How can we know whose fault it is? We all learned that God's favor falls on those who follow God's good rules. Maybe, then, it's just best if we offer a sympathetic side-eye and let the chips fall. There are rules, after all. Or maybe the rules are just misunderstood. Maybe loving our neighbor is a rule that means need is need and grief is grief. And a casserole is the love of God made real for all who suffer, no matter the cause. Maybe. I think that story sums up perfectly what we're talking about. Yeah, it does. You know, when we were talking about doing this podcast, we thought, you know, we could kind of share our own little quick anecdote and we don't want to get into too many specifics, but many years ago, um, over 12 years ago, I guess, mm-hmm. Julie and I had had a, a pretty intense experience ourselves uh, with a feeling of betrayal and abandonment by the church when we were in the dating phase of our of our relationship not to get into too many specifics like I said but Julie left home and uh, due to a um, bit of a situation we'll just call it that and she left home and she moved in with some of my family members 
uh, who had graciously opened their doors to have her live with them. And no, she didn't live with me. Okay. But the rumor mill began to circulate and it increased in intensity very quickly. And over the the span of a couple months, we eventually had all of our friends, including our own priest, turn on us and abandon us. And we uh, left that parish. Mm -hmm. It was incredibly difficult. And we felt we had been quite active in that parish. We had been part of the music ministry and the youth ministry. youth ministry and we had been we had worked really hard for them and at that time it was like none of that mattered and the there was only one person out of that entire group that stood by to by us and really sought to know what the truth was about Julie and I mm-hmm. and that was Mike Mike from the podcast and it was an incredibly confusing time for us because we had, we watched as the, the so-called super Christians just chose to believe rumors and gossip instead of seeking the truth. Mm -hmm. They, they themselves were spreading those lies and even, even, into the into the ranks of the clergy it was incredibly confusing and hurtful and we didn't know where to turn we felt completely abandoned forgotten and we couldn't trust anybody yeah if the people that we had served for so long didn't know us enough to not assume the worst yeah or to believe the worst you know where where do you go Right. But like I said, Mike stood by us and in particular um, with me and that friendship meant the entire world to me. And he and he has received multiple praises for this. This isn't uh, this isn't news to him. So but in that time, he was the only one that was willing to listen, that was willing to to hear our grief because it was a form of grief, a form of mourning. Um, there was a lot of confusion, a lot of hurt, unforgiveness, resentment that we were dealing with. And when the time came, Mike had essentially earned the right because of his presence in our lives, in particular with me, to be able to call me out on the stuff, the muck that I was living in in terms of my unforgiveness and my resentment. He was able to call me onto a life of holiness and a life of freedom and had somebody who was never there for me just preach at me and told me to let go of my hurt and unforgiveness and resentment, which I actually had a few people do that, come to think of it. Mm-hmm. It fell on deaf ears. I didn't want to listen to it. But when Mike said it in the way that he said it, he had already earned my respect and my trust. And so he was able to call me to that freedom and to that healing. And to this day, I don't know where I would be without that, without that move of grace that God um, gave through through Mike at that time. Now, I, I bring this up because... Recently, my mom encountered a lady who had been in that parish 12 years ago. And oddly enough, that that same lady said that she was super upset that what had happened to Julie and I, that she and a, and a fairly large group of people knew what was happening to Julie and I and knew that we had to leave the parish because of what was being done to us and they respected that and they understood it but we had no but we idea. had no idea we had no idea that anybody thought anything good or believed us or thought the best or any of that really 
Yeah. We thought we were completely alone. We did. And um, the the sad reality is, you know, while we, I certainly appreciated hearing those kind words that were that were told to my mom. We needed to know them. We needed to know sooner. them at that time. Sooner, yeah. We, you know, exactly. And so, so here's again where the rubber hits the road for this podcast. The point is that we need to be people of real love in the lives of hurting people of confused people betrayed people like we said we were we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast there's going to be a number of people who are slowly going to be trickling into these traditional latin mass communities because they are fed up with the muck of what's happening in the nova sordo church um and when they come to these parishes, what are they going to find? Yeah. Antisocial elite. <laughs> the antisocial elite or the living and loving face of Christ who's willing to invest yep. in them. Right? Now, we're not just spe- speaking about them. We're speaking about people in general. Right? Because if this is the way we act in our traditional communities, this is the way we're acting everywhere else, too. Workplaces and workplace. You know, if you are in the workplace, work. or you know, with your neighbors, or or other friends, yep, um, or or family members. Yep. Anybody else have an awkward Thanksgiving? Raise your hand. I see you. I see you. I don't know if anybody can hear my dog snoring, but it's really cute. Anyway, <laughs> if only you could see what we see. but maybe you can hear it (laughs) yeah so i mean as cliche as it sounds right we always talk about you always hear especially in the bogus ordo church that's one i haven't heard (laughs) the bogus ordo you hear people say we have to be church okay and and while traker words (laughs) kind of kind of but despite uh, the cliche I think and in particular that people do look at us individually as the church yeah we represent it we represent Christ we do and when we fail to be loving that's exactly the the brush that we and the whole church are painted with hypocrites and it alienates people yeah you know and our Lord, when he talked about uh, if you cause scandal to one of these little ones, it would be better for a millstone to be hung around your neck and for you to be cast into the sea. That wasn't just given to the hierarchy of the Roman Catholic Church. That was given to you. That was given to me. We cause those scandals. We cause those sins, those confusions. And we need to own those things. And that's part of the reason why why there's such a problem in the church today with the abuse scandals. Because not only has there been a scandal, but n- nobody is saying, I'm really sorry. Yep. Even even in the case of McCarrick, what did he say? He was like, I, I do not believe I w- would have done those kinds of things. Like, what? I- Man up. Man up. No. It's the truth is, as a church, we need to recognize as individuals in the church, we need to recognize that we do represent the entire church. And when it comes to our traditional Latin mass communities, we also represent those. Yeah. So when somebody comes into our parish or into our community and and they're new, again, what are they going to find? Do we reach out? Do we say hello? Do we converse at all? Do we introduce ourselves? Or we just let them come and go? Right. And experience the elite, antisocial, you know, community. Right. right. In, the, in the case of Christian charity, intentions are not good enough. Yeah. And, and while you can pray for people, and uh, as 
we are both secular discals Carmelites, you better believe prayer is of the utmost importance. <laughs> That's a hill we'll, we, we will die on. But it must be matched with a life of charity. It must, it has to be. If prayer is not transformative enough to open up your eyes to the needs of others, it's not real prayer. I'm sorry. If you're, rose, if you're praying your rosary every day and you have not seen in your heart and in your soul a greater charity towards others, you need to, t- you need to talk to a spiritual director about that because there's a disconnect between what's happening in your rosaries and, and what's happening in your life. Prayer is meant to transform you. Teresa of Avila, the great doctor of the church and holy mother of our, of our blessed order, <laughs> said that prayer and comfortable living are incompatible. And that is true, right? So the thing well, is, if your prayer is really effective, the whole thing with this being more welcoming to our and more loving to our neighbors, you know, bringing those casseroles, it means get uncomfortable. You don't, it's not saying take them to your friends. I mean, although you should, but to the people that you don't really know, but you know enough that they are in need. Now, you may not be 100% comfortable, but that's the point. If you're only showing this love to the people you're comfortable with showing it to, you're doing it wrong. You're no better than the, the pagans that, like our Lord said. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and I'm again, this is not this. Too. Yeah, we're, like, this, this, this is our own examination of conscience, too. Yeah. You know. It's easy to love the people that, you know, to love the people that, you know, love you. It's easy to do this with your friends and you're talking an introvert like me. It's hard. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. But it's the thing is, too, I think, to point out, like. We read the quote toward the beginning from that article on Catholics who love Latin mass need to get better at loving their neighbors too. Elitism, I don't think necessarily just applies to say the people in that minority group, although it does particularly reference that in that article, but I fall into that too. I fall into that myself in my own way. No, if you come in and you're not wearing a veil and you don't have a lot of kids and whatever it be, or you work, I work too. But the point being that, like, no, I, I don't look at you like, say, this minority group would, but there's still my own ways that I am not humble. And in that way, I suffer from that too, from being elite in whatever way it might be. And it'll look different for you. You know, the people that you won't talk to or the people that you, however you think you're above them, that you do. You know, you got to take a look at that yourself. And as do I for myself. Yeah. And and again, just because you love somebody, just because you bring a casserole to a recent divorcee, does not mean that you're endorsing what they do, right? It does not, especially if, say, for example, it's somebody who is okay with the idea of divorce or or something like that, or a homosexual uh, person living in a homosexual relationship actively. Just because you are speaking to them and loving them does not mean that you're giving license to what they do yep right we're not we're not talking about becoming a a father james martin here he believes that love is license that's not the gospel that's not the teaching and the tradition of the church that is not the example of the saints the saints showed both truth and charity right like what was it saint saint Teresa benedicta of the cross or as she's known um widely as saint edith stein 
a martyr in Auschwitz, um, Carmelite nun, a convert from Judaism. She, she says that do not accept anything as the truth if it lacks love and do not accept anything as love which lacks truth. And I think that that applies here, right? We, we need to be able to speak the truth in love to every person that we encounter, both within the church and outside of it. But again, our words will mean nothing if there's no charity behind it. Mm-hmm. If there's no actual lived charity behind it. Like in the case of Mike, with us and with you. That charity doesn't actually, it doesn't have to take the form of, you know, a literal casserole. But listening, being present, you know, that actual charity is there and was there. Yeah. But yeah, so loving no- others no matter yeah. what. Love, love others no matter what. But the only way to do that is by getting to know them by being present to them, mm-hmm. um, by getting into relationships and being intentional about that. And building those. Yeah. Like August Mayrat says, right? He talks about the the people who, when it comes to evangelization, right? He says that in some traditional circles, right? You'd see families and people who... Their preferred form of evangelization is having large families and sheltering them as much as possible. And maybe that that may not be 100% the case, but a lot of a lot of these families that I've encountered they may not explicitly say it, but I mean, if you come to them, they'll evangelize. Sure. They won't have a problem with doing that, but God forbid they have to go outside. God forbid they have to be present. It's tough right now in the church. It's tough in the bogus ordo crowd. It's tough in the, you know, it's tough in our secular families where the majority of the the family members aren't Catholic, aren't living the faith. It's tough, but we've got to go. We got to go out there and love them and be present to them and learn instead of keeping them at arm's length, like I tend to do, or hide in a room in the basement um, as much as possible at Thanksgiving dinner. Um, don't know if anybody know what that's like, but we're called to share, share each other's burdens. We're called to be St. Simon of Cyrene in the lives of these people. And to, to help them carry their own crosses and show them how to carry a cross well. The thing is, to be able to do that, you have to be able to find out what those burdens are. Yeah. And you can't unless you get to know other people and build those relationships, you know, at least enough to find out what those burdens are and be able to help carry them. Yeah. So here's the thing. This would all be vapor if it's not acted upon. If we don't so take we're s- going to do that. We're, yeah. Uh, so, so Julie and I are going to be creating a PDF, and it will be on our website at theologyofthebuddy.com. And under in the show notes. Today's episode. Yeah. So just look for Catholics Casseroles and the Virtue of Charity. And on that PDF, it's going to say something to the effect of this in this next year, I am committing to these three things pertaining to loving your neighbor. I'll find some fancy way to word it. But this year, I'm challenging myself because, again, I need to do better in my own personal life and and also in my communal life. If I, if I can't even love my own next-door neighbors... How am I going to love the person that comes to the Latin mass that I've never met before? Um, St. John Chrysostom says too, you know, like if you, if you cannot find Christ in the beggar at the door, you'll never find him in the chalice. And so he's right. Yeah. So I think we, yeah, we're going to, we're going to set out three specific things and I'm, I will share 
my list on our Instagram and on our Facebook page. You'll find that if you look on Theology of the Buddy on Facebook or Instagram, we're at Theology of the Buddy. We're going to share a copy of of our list of what we're going to work on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're going to do that, but we want to also invite you to do this as well. If this is something that that you feel convicted to do, we encourage you to to hop on board with us um, mm-hmm. because we want to see our traditional Latin mass communities become places of of grace for people and healing. People are flocking, and I believe are going to flock to our traditional communities because essentially the church and her hierarchy and her um, and her leaders have betrayed them, have left them fatherless, have left them feeling like like they don't belong. And we should be a welcome face for them when they arrive. Mm-hmm. They're grieving too. Yeah. We're all we're all hurting yeah. right now from the things that's happening in the church right now. We need fathers. We need mm-hmm. we need saints right now. And we're not getting it. We're not getting it. We need heroes. So I'm I'm aiming this year to become more loving towards my own personal neighbors. Um, we might even talk about this on a uh, Instagram live or something mm-hmm. or on an Instagram story. So check those out. But yeah, essentially we want to open our doors to, to the stranger and welcome them in. So despite also at the same time, learning how to deal with the newborn. Yeah. That, uh, is making my list creation a little difficult because I don't know how it's going to look <laughs> in terms of, you know, okay, what, uh, I mean, I won't be at work. Currently I work. I'm going to be obviously off for the years. So finding people that I can love, give the casseroles to, literally, figuratively. Yeah. But I'll be posting mine yeah. for sure. So... Definitely look for that on our social media. And we, like we said, we'd love for you to get involved. Um, so we're going to create a Facebook group. Not sure what we're going to call it. We'll come up with something great. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have something cool. Get connected on Facebook. Yep. <laughs> You'll see it. Yep. And if you want in, we'll let you in. Yep. Um, because we, we want also, um, we want help with this too. And, yep. and accountability. Accountability, um, but also to be an inspiration to each other, to help each other out, to, yeah. you know. And it's not a matter of tooting your own horn. No. This will not be one of those things. If you, you know, if you're afraid of doing that, it, it, it's more so just kind of a means by which to inspire other people. This isn't to say that you should always air all of the things that you do charitably for others you know but, but let's say but, if it's something that was particularly hard for you you know like ugh, i did this it was tough yeah. you know you never know who that might help out to do the same thing like myself antisocial introverted elitist elitist yeah it's so beautiful oh you don't have to say that i know <laughs> anyways you're we, so beautiful Thank you. You knew that already. I did. I did. My mother tells me that all the time. Yeah. So find us on Facebook at Theology of the Buddy. If you want to know what our goals are for the year for this, yeah, yeah. come find us. Yeah. If you're already there, we're really glad that you're there. Yeah. I want to You'll make be it, the first to know. I want to make a quick shout out to we've got i've been seeing a lot of people liking and and sharing stuff um father josh what a great guy um we interviewed him in season one he's been sharing memes things like that i hope you guys are enjoying the memes by the way 
the theology of the buddy has become like meme central. Um, <laughs> so I hope you guys are enjoying the memes. Um, but if you're uh, an Instagram person, we're really bad at it. We need to get better at it. And uh, But yeah, if you're an Instagram person, maybe give us a shout out in the DMs or or comment on uh on one of our pictures let us know you're a listener because um yeah it it helps us out by the way i also want to give a quick shout out to grace grace is still listening and she has been engaged with us quite a bit on our social media so i want to thank you for that anyways is there anything else you want to say julianne i don't think so i think that pretty much sums it up okay uh, give people your casseroles and Come and follow us and comment. So if you want to know what we're going to do, we want to know what your plans are too. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Our final parting words, be the casserole you want to see in the world. Yep. And. Stay tratty. Hey, maybe that's what we should call the group. Be the casserole. Be the casserole. Yeah. That's a good idea. We'll leave this in. Guys, it's going to be called Be the Casserole. (laughs) There you go. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. We would really love to know if this episode inspired you and your ideas about how we can do better at loving our neighbors. What are you going to do to be the casserole? We would really love to have you join in with us on this. Message us on Facebook or DM on Instagram at Theology of the Buddy. Find us on Twitter at TradFriends or email us at TheologyofTheBuddy at gmail.com. You can also send us a voicemail via Facebook Messenger. If you like what you heard today, please consider subscribing to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Would you also please consider rating us and reviewing us on iTunes? We greatly appreciate it as it helps us to get noticed within the larger podcast community. Next week, Mike, Chris, Julie, and myself will be sitting down to discuss funerals versus canonizations. Make sure you're subscribed so you'll know when it comes out. We'll save you a seat at the table. New episodes are released every Wednesday, so until then, stay trotty.